This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is the lovely... Very warm and very happy, without being annoyingly happy. It's a very special quality amongst comedians. Uh, this is the wonderful Steen Raskopoulos. Uh, this was recorded uh, non-live in my flat at the Edinburgh Fringe 2014. And during this recording, you might hear Steen receiving a text, uh, which was his producer, Rebecca Austin, telling him to meet her outside after the interview because she had big news. And that news was that Steen had just been nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Newcomer Award. Called it. Here is Steen Raskopoulos. <laughs> Steen, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate you coming in. We've uh, barely met before and uh, it's really kind of you to come and do this with no idea of who I am or what the hell you do. Yeah, especially when we're recording in your bedroom. Yeah, so. Don't tell them. Okay. This, is very, <laughs> this is a very professional setup here. Um, it is, as ever, an absolute Mickey Mouse operation, but um, at least we're not in a cave. Uh, which I believe is the same cave in which uh, brilliant comedy director Paul Byrne uh, contracted scarlet fever some years ago. Oh, shit. That was, that was where we could be going, so on that basis... Well, thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> the bedroom. I've tried to, I've tried to uh, uh, adjust the situation to be more healthy. So, we were saying... Um, no, before we get into that, just tell my listeners what you do, because what you do isn't regular stand-up. No, so I do solo sketch comedy. Um, or what I what I think is comedy. Um, so I play various different characters and uh, use the audience and improv uh, a fair way with having like a nice narrative structure within the show. Yes. How long have you been doing it? Uh, this is uh, probably like two years. Okay. Yeah. So I've done a lot of sketch uh, shows with, with groups before and a lot of improv shows. Uh, I come from a strong improv background, mm-hmm. but in terms of solo sketch, just about two years. Okay, okay. So what were the, what were the groups you were in before? And so, when, so, when did you first set out to make people laugh? Uh, probably first year uni. Um, so Sydney University, where I went, has a very strong tradition of kind of comedy and performance. So they do like faculty reviews, like law reviews, arts reviews, science reviews. And I did the arts review, which is the best one. Um, mm-hmm. And I did theatre sports there. And then my second year at uni, they did like a best of review from Australia kind of thing. And I was... Uh, uh, like the group, you had to audition and stuff like that. And I made in a group called the Delusionists. And then we went to Melbourne um, for three years in a row and had like a really successful time there. Um, then everyone kind of split their own ways and are doing quite well for themselves in different areas of, of what we're doing now kind of thing. Okay, who who else was in that group? Is there anyone else I'm, I might oh, know? No, you would not. No, okay. uh, I can say their names. But go, I think on, you, go on, say, say their names. Uh, so there's lots of Australian Ben Jenkins, uh, who's on uh, The Checkout. Um, we've got Alex Lee, who is uh, on uh, The Roast on ABC as well. We've got Susie Youssef, who's an amazing uh, live solo sketch improviser as well. Paul Air, who's just dominating all the online web series kind of market. Um, and Damon Higginbotham, who just filmed an ABC2 kind of pilot as well. So everyone's doing pretty well. Okay. Yeah. And how do you, find, how do you feel you're doing in that, in that firmament? Do you well, feel like where are they? Where are they? Yeah, yeah. No, jokes, 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 jokes. I mean, those guys are on TV, and you're. Do you feel you're bringing up the rear, or do you feel like you're about to hit all that stuff? Are you doing TV stuff as well? Yeah. So back home, uh, I've done a sketch show called uh, This Is Littleton, which was a four part for the ABC. Um, I've done slideshow. I don't think you guys have have slideshow here. It's like an so improv no. game show. Okay. Um, and then I just filmed a political thriller at the end of last year. So it's a six hour one episode, kind of straight drama with Adam Garcia, uh, Lucy Lawless, uh, David Wenham, 
Um, so that was there. Yeah, that was, that You're was a lot of fun. You're doing fine. Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. <laughs> and I was saying uh, because it is it is uh, Wednesday, the whatever it is today, uh, which is the day that the nominations come out. Mm. And this, given that this is your first hour in Edinburgh, mm. um, I casually remarked to you, you must be pretty excited today. You know, hoping for a nomination. And your response was, uh, I'm not really worried about anything like that I think when when I came here everyone really instilled the fear of God into me saying that Edinburgh's a scary place and like everything's fucked and you're going to be so lonely but by the end of it you're probably going to be a better comedian or you're just going to be broken yeah. and I'm like oh I haven't had that experience at all like the experience I've had is really really lovely and everyone's been really supportive and yeah, I think I've already won in terms of that game, um, which you know, and I've had some a lot of like cool interest from from a few people as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I I don't really look into awards or nominations in terms of you know that's why I don't I don't do comedy for that reason or I don't do performance for that reason. If I'm getting crowds, then that's that's the best kind of thing you can Great. get. I guess. And you have been. I saw you a couple of nights ago, and you were packed. You were jam packed. Yeah, yeah. Is so that been you've been selling out the run? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So the first couple of shows, when no one obviously knew who I was, it was, it was a bit smaller. But now, yeah, everything's. And what what is it? Do you think that people are liking so much? What is it? What quality is it that's that's getting them in? Um, well, as I said before, I do a lot of audience participation, and I think. There's a lot of shows that are very bullying with their audiences, I guess. Very, very what? Like bullying. They, yeah, they bully bullying, their yeah, audience yeah. or they, they mock or try and get cheap laughs out of that where, you know, if the audience I get up aren't having fun, then the show isn't fun or sure. I'm not having fun personally. So everything is for joy and for happiness and hopefully that translates, you know, with that connection with, with the audience. I oh, know you're, you're the audience. You're the audience. So what, what did you think? To, well, I yeah. have very strong feelings on this. And what I loved about your show is that you give the joke to the audience. Hmm. They're not picking up the punchline. They're not picking up the punchline you've written and moving it from A to B. There, I mean, the, my favourite bit in the show, and there was there was several many highlights. I've really enjoyed it, and not just in the audience stuff. You know, your film reviewer, Greek Orthodox priest character, absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Spoilering the film Gravity and uh, and doing this, you're getting everyone to sing Spoiler Alert in the yeah. sort of chanting thing. I thought it was really really funny, but that was in the sort of first half when I was like, I was gradually being won over, yeah. and I have to admit, I was thinking, okay, he's another guy doing audience stuff. There's mm-hmm. going to be there's going to be some audience things, and I started to I'm. I don't mean to be cynical, but I've seen a lot of shows with audience participation over years and years. Mm-hmm. And part of me kind of goes, I think I know what to expect from this. Mm-hmm. And what I absolutely loved, the bit that just got me was the woman with the gun under her chair. Yeah, yeah. So what you just for, I mean, I don't want to give the bit away, but mm-hmm. the the way that bit works is that you're in a soap opera mm-hmm. playing a doctor. Mm-hmm. A woman in the audience has a gun under her chair and you encourage her to shoot you. Yeah. And then you say, Why? And she doesn't know what to say. Yeah. And there's no script. And no. this the night I saw it, this lovely middle-aged lady just blurted out, you never loved me. Yeah. And it was just magical. <laughs> and it was magical because you'd created the environment within which someone who was not a performer by any means felt that they could improvise in front of everyone. Mm. You've got someone singing. You've got someone telling a story with you. Yeah. And you, admittedly, with, with the story, with the flashlight kind of story mm-hmm. where you're, you're giving them the moment and the flashlight's very nicely tooled <laughs> bit of, Thank you, you know, that's, you know, you're showing in the dark, you're showing a flashlight on your face while you begin a sentence and then the flashlight switches to their face for them to end it with any word. And that, of course, allows you to comment on them, take the focus off them, all mm-hmm. the rest of it. It's, that's all very intelligent stuff. But... I just really enjoyed the fact that the ball was up in the air. Like, if they'd done badly, they could have failed. Yeah. But no one failed on the night I saw mm. because you were sufficiently 
<coughs> couching the show and, and couching pro- protecting them in such a way that they could make those big leaps. And that's the sort of audience kind of animation stuff I love watching. Oh, great. Yeah, I think you said like protection is the biggest word. You never want anyone to feel unsafe, you know, within within your room or within your space. You never want them to leave frightened or more scared to go to other shows, um, you know, scared that the audience will, will get picked on kind of thing. Well, you, you say you never want that, but you specifically never want that. Yeah, There's no, plenty of yeah. comics who don't give a fuck about okay. that. Okay, well, so, me specifically, I, I don't want that. Where, where does where does that come from? Are you just like a super nice guy or what is it that you want to... Um, oh, I don't know. You, you could probably ask people how I am as a person, but yeah. I was raised pretty well, so, you know. But I'm the person, like, I hate audience participation. So whenever I go see a show, I'm the guy that is secluded in the corner. But I've learned pretty well now that if they ever ask for audience participation, you just have to light your eyes up as if you want to get picked and, like, just grin at them the whole time. And guaranteed, <laughs> guaranteed they will not pick you. Good move. That's a good defensive mechanism that's for anyone out there. Very good. That's, yeah. this is, that's worth his weight in gold yeah. already. Look, look overly keen is, yeah. is my, big, my big note. Never look at the floor. Floor, you're gone. If you look at the floor, you're gone. But um, in terms of the soap opera sketch, one of the best ones I ever had was in Melbourne Comedy Festival this year. And, you know, as you said, the gun's planted underneath the chair. So the, whoever's sitting in that chair, I have, I have to use. I can't. So if they, if they want it or not, I have to work mm. either really easily or hard to kind of convince them to, to get up. And in Melbourne, there was this one lady, like oh, middle-aged lady, similar to the one that you saw, and I, I did the whole bit, did the whole bit, and she was just looking at me like petrified. And the person who obviously was with her to her left, same kind of age, which is she was pissing herself laughing. She was just like she's just the happiest woman I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, what? Like what? And she just points to her after like a minute of me trying to get her to get the get the gun. And she's like, she can't speak English. Oh my I'm god! Like, what the fuck? <clears throat> so then. I've got this uh, gibberish Spanish that I can't. I started like splurting out, and then she started splurting out actual Spanish to me. Kind no of way! Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And then like the woman spoke to her to get the gun underneath the chair, and then there was just this, you know, brilliant kind of back and forth. She was obviously speaking proper Spanish, and I was in gibberish Spanish, and I was just, I just made the so. Fucking so show. the woman next to her was translating yeah, your yeah, gibberish. Yeah, yeah, into, yeah, oh, that's amazing! <laughs> it was just one of those magical moments. So you couldn't, you couldn't write, you couldn't, you know. It was just one of those. You had to kind of be there. I think that's what I enjoy about my show in terms of, you know, with stand-up, I'm sure a lot of people just do the same show and they might have like one or two instances where like, oh, I'll get heckled in this show, blah, blah, blah. But every show is different for me. So you could say, oh, I loved it when, you know, you saw the gun bit. But another person might be like, oh, no, it didn't happen that well on the gun bit. But the story was fucking great. Oh, no, the story. Yeah. So, uh, and it keeps me on my toes as well. You know, it's not always like a set thing that I can just go on autopilot and get through. I have to be able to be kind of on my toes to improvise Absolutely. with stuff like that, which makes it fun for me that every show will be different in that capacity. Sure. Did you have anyone direct the show? No. You Really? Yeah. There was no one being like an outside eye or kind no. of, oh, man, it's so well put together. Oh, Congratulations. So. It's oh, really like it's really well measured, you know, the story of the little boy throughout it and uh, the, the way everything sort of neatly dovetails and I forget the guy's name, it sounds like Zumba. Uh, Toby Zagamo. Toby Zagamo, that's yeah. it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so he, you know, that kind of holds it together. And when I realised uh, what was going to happen with the dancing sketch at the end, and I really want people to see it, so I don't want to give it yeah, away yeah. even though people will hear this when you're long gone out of town. Yes. Um, but the moment of realisation of what, what's going to happen at the end was just sensational. I just loved it. Ah, oh, thanks, man. So, so how did you get into doing audience participation stuff? Were you doing that with the theatre sports background? Is that something you've always done? Uh, not really. So I, I kind of took in charge of theatre sports at Sydney Uni uh, in my like third or fourth year. 
Um, so what that means is like you, you teach the classes and then you host the show. So every Thursday at one o'clock at uh, Manning Bar, you know, 200, 250 kids will just pack in and watch theatre sports for an hour. Um, so the way I hosted was very kind of, you know, banter with the audience and making them feel comfortable to shout out stuff. I think that's when I kind of first enjoyed that interaction because before that, all the sketch shows I'd done and all the theatre I'd done is it's been behind the fourth wall or whatever. Mm. So this is the first time I could fuck around with people in the audience and make them feel like they were a part of the show and when I started writing the first solo sketch show everyone was like oh, oh how can you do your characters and your sketches and like everything has to be monologues and stuff like that I'm like what if I can just use the audiences as other characters yes I'm like no, you can't do that and I was like fuck, fuck that yes yes I can and that's what I really enjoy out of it um, had you seen anyone do anything similar at that point? Yeah, I went. There's a guy in the UK called Adam Riches. Yeah, so I, I went and saw him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's fantastic. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed his show. So you should go see it if uh, you get a chance. Um, but uh, I went to Chicago for seven weeks and uh, I saw some. They do like a lot of solo sketch over there. Okay. And there was a few instances where they got audience members out, but it wasn't into place. So it was more just them as yes. objects or them as yes. just standing there to kind of create the environment, but never. To the extent of, I don't know, in terms of like the job interviews with Zagamo, for instance, it's sure. never that sure. specific. And the depth. job, again, that's so clever because obviously in the job interview, you get to audition members of the audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, so you're interviewing them <laughs> for a role in the, oh yeah, that's only really just struck me. You're genuinely interviewing them for a role in the show. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah brilliant. That's <laughs> <laughs> lovely. It's like watching a magician or someone kind of going, or a hypnotist go, I'm just yeah. going to select a... And I've had some shocking uh, ones in the end. I've misread a lot of people, but... That's part of the the risk. I, I'm willing, you know, How would you to take. give us some examples of that? What what do you mean by mis- oh, misread them? I had I had a young kid um, when the dan I won't ruin it. But when the dance started, he just walked out of the theater and he closed the door. And oh, I'm like, oh wow. that's when I was on the floor. Yeah, as okay. you know. Yeah, and then everyone just sat back down, and then a kid just got up and got the cordial and just started pouring it on my face and oh, just man. weird shit like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. But the first show I ever did. Um, and I did, it was my first kind of run of it. So it was like a very draft, draft, workshoppy kind of show. And I didn't have all this kind of setup, nor was the dance linked with the Zagamo bit. Sure. And so when I, I just thought it'd be funny if, regardless of what happened, if I was just on the floor and the lights were up for three minutes and everyone just went back down and the music kept playing, I thought that was funny. And this girl got back up on stage and I was like, Steen, can you hear me? Steen, can you hear me? And she started to mime, give me CPR. She's like, I now pronounce Steen dead at 10.36 in the factory theatre. Like, closed my eyes with her hands, um, like, kissed me on the forehead and then sat back down. And I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck just happened? And that's when I was like, oh, I have to be much more specific with how yes. I want this to Because the, the danger there is it looks like you've planted that. Exactly. She's part of the show. And if she is part of the show, that's <clears> kind of a crappy part of the show that you didn't write or want to happen. Exactly. And a lot of people came out, oh, like, I really enjoyed your show, but that plan was a bit weird. I'm like, not a plan. Not yeah. a plan. Yeah. Um, I've had another one in Melbourne where at, at the end, <laughs> so you said the gun bit before. So when everyone was dancing, a guy from the audience just picked up the gun from the soap opera scene and started shooting all members of the audience. Yeah. And on that note, all the members of the audience were just on board, so everyone just started dying. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So I had like 50 people across my stage just lying on the floor while the music kept going. And then I had a dude who just pushed everyone aside, like took off his shirt, started swinging around and going, ladies and gentlemen, I'm the real Toby Zagamo. Please thank my assistant, Steen Scoplers. Thank you and good night. 
And I was like, what the fuck is but happening? But you, you have to bear responsibility for that because you're creating a place and you're saying, hey, you guys can play. Absolutely. Ah, Absolutely. man. That's a really so interesting that dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, at the time, I'm like, what the fuck? But as I leave, I'm like, oh, that was really, really fucking yeah, awesome. Yeah. And then like, likewise again, you know, those, you know, 60 or 70 people, wherever they came to see that show, that's that's their memory. That's the thing of like, holy yeah. shit, remember when that guy did that? And that's other people are like, really... oh, no, man, we just had one person get up and continue to dance. So do you need to put structures in place then to make sure that people don't overplay or they don't carry away with it? I mean, oh, there's only so much I can do, I guess, you know, and that's a risk that I take. And hopefully by the end of the show, I've won everyone over enough to kind of respect the, the playfulness and not yes. over, you know, in terms of I never bully them, so hopefully they won't. Sure. me back, but it's happened a couple of times, but um, nothing that I haven't been able to handle or fix. What would you say is your status in the show compared to the audience? Mm. Hopefully, hopefully, I've got status over them the whole time. Um, but there are a few moments of vulnerability which I, I leave with them in terms of yeah. they, they decide of what kind of happens, um, but. I don't know, hopefully when I want to hand out my business cards at the end of the show, everyone gets to see me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. And they get to just really relax yes. and kind of, you know, not be scared or... Well, the reason <laughs> I ask is I think you've got a really interesting quality on stage, which is that you are tall and kind of good looking and strong. You look athletic and all you're rangy and all that kind of stuff. And yet you... And maybe it's about the suits at the beginning. The show, for the, those that don't know, is called I'm Wearing Two Suits because I mean business. Mm -hmm. And you're wearing two suits, yeah. only sensibly, only yeah. at the very beginning of the show. <laughs> Not in the weaker room. That's incredible <laughs> temperatures here. Um, but um, but you, there's something about the fact you look like a kind of a big, tough alpha male who's in charge of us and is going to spend a bit of time ordering us around. And yet, at the same time, you seem quite vulnerable. Yeah. And like you're, you're, people really kind of... Like certainly with the stuff with Tommy, the little boy who's yeah. kind of you know trying Timmy, his best Timmy, to be Timmy, Timmy yeah, pardon, who's yeah. trying his best to be loved by his sort of yeah. absent father, we assume. And um, so there's there's those bits, but there's also there's something in the the quality of how you deal with us when you're being uh, Toby and you're ordering people around. Mm. You're doing it in a way that you stay the butt of the joke. Is that I mean that's got to be a presumably a is that a deliberate choice? Is that just sort of part of your nature and how you enjoy getting on with people? Yeah, I think it's a bit of bit of both. Um, yeah, I'm pretty quite reserved and shy off off stage kind of thing. And so when I do do shows, and it sounds like the wankiest thing I'll ever say, but that's when I get to be someone different or immerse myself and do things that I wouldn't normally do as a person. So whether it be be arrogant or, or cocky or you know that kind of macho macho esque as you're talking about kind of style of characters. That's that's fun for me because I know I would ne never do that. Um, I've seen just so many shows, like especially like sketch, that are just like trying to just go joke, 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 um, and it gets tired. I, f I find it gets tiresome after a while. So that's why I like the kind of Timmy bits in terms of like laugh, laugh, laugh. Oh fuck, that's really sad. What just oh and jokes, jokes, jokes. Oh fuck, why why does he keep doing this to this poor innocent yeah. kid? Do you know what I mean? So just I think that's a good device to keep the audience guessing as well. So when you have your moments of like a gun underneath your chair and stuff like that, it's always just what's happening next and yes. that kind of. Um, you know, you're trying to guess what's happening, but you don't know. You know, and the best one of the best pieces of advice is you never want the audience to be behind the wave, like too far behind the wave, or they've caught the wave and it's already gone. You always want them to be riding the wave right along with you, because when they get on the board with you and you're on board with them, then that's when 
that's when their laughs come from. But if they yes. can pick the joke or they don't know what the fuck's going on, yes. then it's hard to read from from an audience. Where did you where did you hear that bit of advice? So Lindsay Haley told me that. She's a she's an amazing solo sketch improviser and probably one of the best improv teachers in the world. So she's based in LA now, but um, so when I went to Chicago, I stayed with her for seven weeks and she teaches okay. that. Were you uh, doing, I'm just thinking of the, the companies I know in Chicago, was it Second City? So I went to Improv Olympic okay. with Shana Halpin, but that's where like Lindsay did shows and stuff at Second City and IO and um, yeah, she's probably the main reason why I started doing solo sketch. Okay. Yeah. She's like, you need to start doing stuff for yourself and stop doing things with and for other people. You need to just break out and test yourself and... So I went to Chicago. She's like, okay, um, you need to write 10 minutes of solo sketch. I'm taking you to like an open mic sketch night. Uh, you have nine hours. I was like, what the fuck? I don't know. And she drove wow. me there, threw me on stage. I did it. Petri- probably the most scared I've ever been in my life. And I shouldn't have been because it were like, it was all other comics, excuse me, and maybe seven members of the audience. So it was just like, you know, anyone just getting up and doing stuff. And I did it. I was like, holy shit. Oh, I can't believe you made me do that. And then she's like, oh, cool. You're coming back tomorrow. Fresh new 10. So she did it to me like three times. So wow. as I left, I had like thirty minutes of stuff what, what, that I tried. What were the tens? What were the? What was the first one that you that you wrote? So the Timmy, the third part of the Timmy. Yeah, that's how I started the sketch. Okay. So the idea was the Ventura Highway hitchhiker kind of idea, mm-hmm. and then I felt that for a person to, I don't want to ruin it but like a person to do that to the person in the end I like, yes it's, so it's we think we know what's going on yeah, and then yeah. it's the opposite it's almost like a like a kind of a three panel cartoon yep. where it's, it's a very simple idea whereby a, a kid is apparently being abducted yep. and then something different happens yep. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but when I had the idea first I was like oh fuck I can just do that because people will just not feel sorry or em- empathy towards the other person or vice versa um, and Timmy's voice is actually how my girlfriend spoke as a as a young really? child. Really, I was yeah, going to yeah, say yeah. Timmy's voice is fantastic. It's so vulnerable, but yeah. it's so kind of hopeful. Yeah. So I watched some home videos like, a couple of years ago, and I'm like, oh my god, you sound like a. Um, I've never heard anyone speak like that before. But it just it was just so endearing, and she was just so cute. And she had like big puffy like eyes, and at the time when she was a kid, and just so so. so Can you just cute. give us a bit of Timmy's voice oh, so yeah. we know what we're talking about? Oh, hello, Stuart. How are you? <laughs> I hope you're okay today and the listeners are enjoying the podcast so far. Oh, it's lovely. It's just that losing breath at the end of the sentence. Oh, like that. Oh, it's wonderful. So you're, is, that, is that typical, that, that kind of process of, you know, kind of magpieing a thing from somewhere and going, okay, that was, you know, someone's real personality sticks in your mind and you go, or their real voice, and you go, right, I'm going to build something from that. Yeah, sometimes. Or which way around does it happen? Sometimes. I'm not the type of comic or, or performer to just go today's my writing day get my laptop out and write 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 like I have to I have to just hear stuff or be inspired or um, you know s- see something that will just trigger something off so a lot of the times it's music just listening to music and for some reason my brain just starts acting out things what in my head what sort of music are we doing? Like everything I'm very eclectic so like it can be from Sade to Jay-Z to fucking Exhibit to John Mayer to like doing okay. John Legend it's, it's everything um, and so when I first started I just started listening in the car and a lot of times when I'm with friends like and it starts to happen people think I'm schizophrenic because I'll just start you know miming and mumbling to myself and have a very intense look on my face and I'm like fucking stop doing that like what and I don't know what I'm doing like, yeah. what are you doing what do you mean not doing like you're fucking doing that thing where you just start talking to yourself oh I'm sorry um, yeah but I don't have a strict so like this is how I get my ideas it can come from from anywhere really okay. but the the voice 
came from uh, my girlfriend. Um, but the idea of just having a very vulnerable person in that kind of situation was, sure. you know, I just wanted the audience to feel more empathy towards the the, the person who picks, picks up the hitchhiker or Timmy. So when you when you were creating these three different bits, what was the reaction like? Did they work straight out of the bag or? Yeah, so the first time I ever did it, um, I had people in the audience like yelling out like, no, Timmy, no, don't get in the car, please, please. And I was like, you do you do realize like I'm in control and I'm playing both the characters and also I'm acting so don't <laughs> yeah don't, sure this is not a real thing that's taking place or happening um, so the first couple of times I done it was great and then this time was great and so this the, that three part was the only part um, from my previous show that I've brought into the two suits show and, but I've had two people in Edinburgh who've had a very stern word with me after the show about the they don't like the pedophile stuff that I was doing. Okay. And I was, I don't know, I just, I got taken a little bit, you know, it's fine to... If Who are these people, like punters? Yeah, just punters. Yeah. So one man was very, very stern with how he spoke to me after the show and another woman was just a little bit upset. Um, and, you know, it's everyone's interpretation to how they want to take things on board. But if, you know, if they're reacting like that, I, I've convinced them in some capacity, I guess. But, you know... If you know what the ending is, yeah. you should go, oh, that's not the main yeah. concern in, the, in yeah. the sketch or the bit. Um, but I guess everyone's entitled, you know, they paid for their tickets, so they're entitled to feel sure. and see how they, how they want. So this is Steen. Um, a couple of you I've noticed on the, the Facebook group and over Twitter have made reference to the fact that uh, I begin the middle blurb every time by saying, so this is name of act. And I was thinking of mixing it up for this one, but with a name like Steen, you can't use that one to break the format. So this is Steen. What a lovely thing to say. Um, so let's not stop here. Maybe I'll throw in some curveballs for you in future. What a nice guy, though. He's from that background of theatre sports, if you've heard, which seems to make happy, well-adjusted comedians, people that like giving. And uh, I loved his show. It, it really, I thought it was really, really funny. And uh, he, he just pitched exactly right that the moment when you catch what's going on is lovely. You know my feelings about audience interaction and how often it's done badly. This was a perfect example of doing it right. Um, he doesn't have a website, as far as I can tell, but you can certainly follow Steen on Twitter at srasko, so S-R-A-S-K-O. Uh, and we'll get right back to him in a second. I just want to thank you for your donations. I forgot to last week. Um, debate is raging on the Facebook group about whether or not I should revisit the advertising. Um, some of you, many of you, seem to be in favour. All I can say is every time that people donate, I think to myself, hey, I don't need to do adverts. And every time the donations dip a bit, I think, well, hey, adverts wouldn't be so bad. Um, I'm not trying to hold you to ransom. Just get in the van. <laughs> um, you can donate if you would like to at comedianscomedian.com. Just click on the the PayPal button and choose the amount that you would like to send in support of this podcast. Pick a figure, however much you think the show is worth to you, to your job, to your life, uh, however much it keeps you company on long runs or painting a fence or ruffling up the hair of a dog, whatever it is you do whilst listening, um, pick a figure. And, and what I'm really noticing from the messages that accompany the donations, I'm noticing a real sense of satisfaction and self-worth. Um, so choose that figure and just hit send. You can pay whatever you like. Um, here are some lovely comments I've had from, from some of you that have donated. Sean Preslack from Hove says, I've probably listened to more than 30, but 30 quid seemed a nice round number. Yes, Sean, it certainly does. Uh, Callum McGough, I think, in London. Why have I chosen all the people with difficult to pronounce names? 
names. Sorry, Callum and Sean. Um, Callum McGough in London says, a long overdue donation, having listened and enjoyed dozens of episodes. Thank you, Callum. Much appreciated. Kathy Bell, that's easier. She's in Bangor. She says, you are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. I fully intend to, and thank you. Um, I may not be awesome, but I believe this show is awesome. So thank you to all of you who've donated. It's really appreciated. And remember, of course, if you can't donate, you can say thank you by just spreading the word about the show and recommending it to someone who doesn't know about it. Uh, a quick reminder, very quickly, before we go back to Steen, um, about the next live Comedians Comedian special with Tom Stade. It's this September, Monday the 22nd of September, in fact, at the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton in a little studio there. Um, details on the Arena Theatre website and also details are up at ComComPod on Twitter and on the Facebook Comedians Comedian group page. Tickets are only £5. I'll see you there. Now, let's get back to Steen Raskopoulos. <laughs> Do you consider yourself more of a... Which is uppermost in your mind, that you're a comic, an improviser, an actor? Um, I'd say, like, improviser first, maybe? Improviser, sketch? I don't know. For me, like, a comic, I couldn't... I can only do, like, three sketches from my show in a kind of stand-up. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, at a spot. And even then... Which, which three, out of interest? Which so, are the, which usually are the I do, like, Greek Orthodox Priest, mm-hmm. um, the sunscreen bit, yeah, and either, like, the rap or one from my previous show that I'll do. But I just always feel awkward and out of context mm. from my show because it has a lot of that kind of seeding and narrative element that I just feel, I don't know, just personally feels weird. And also, I don't, I don't really enjoy doing spots. Is there, I mean, is there a kind of a financial implication of, like, would it be useful to you? Is there enough of a circuit for you in Australia that you would be able to make an income from doing a, you know, 20 minutes worth in, in clubs? Yeah. Or just, oh. just, just not appeal? It doesn't appeal. You know, I've, I've done it. Um, I've done like you know I've gone on uh, like road shows and stuff like that mm-hmm. to Brisbane and other different states, but for me that's not where I want to go, or that's not where my comedy wants to go, or how I want to be a, known as a performer. And another token, like I don't want to take some other kid or you know young person's opportunity who's a stand up who that would be mean a big thing for them. Sure. Do you know what I mean? But like, and I, for me that's more important to to do that, especially like in the improv community. When I was young and coming through, I never had that kind of embrace from the older kind of crew. They just kind of felt neglected. I felt neglected or felt that, you know, I was stepping on their show, you know, their toes rather than, oh, here's this really cool, young, talented kid. Yeah. Let's kind of get him involved. And it was a, it was a, it's shit. It was shit at the time. That's a shame. I, yeah. I would have thought that, uh, I mean, that's more of a, a cliche that people think of with comedians, with yeah. stand-ups rather than improvisers. I always imagine that the world of improv and Mm. acting is sort of more positive and friendly because everyone's not walking around shitting themselves about writing jokes all the time or stealing stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems to me from the outside, I'm not mm. really in that world, that it would be more supportive. Yeah, well, like it definitely is in terms of a different side of the group where like, I was, I was uh, kind of performing, but just like more the older kind of crews and cliques that mm. didn't really... And they were the ones in charge of like you know, the big kind of scene at the time. Um, but people like guys like the members of the Access Force, and like Steve Lynch, Amanda Buckley, Suze Youssef, and all those types of guys were like a lot older than me, but really embraced me and took me to the side. Mm-hmm. And going, you know, he's this kid. We want him to be a part of our kind of shows. So they took me to Melbourne and did some shows with them. And it was the first time I was like, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. And I've always felt that when you know, because I teach now, I teach improv with kids, and that's how I want. Like I want the best 
I want my kids to be better than me. I want my students to be better than me. I want them to be performing as much as possible because you know that's that's an experience that they'll have for the rest of their life, whether they continue to do it or not. That's a social tool that they'll have um, to mix with in a workplace, in a social environment, or whatever. But to to not want to nurture that talent, not want to inspire those young younger kind of generation kids, I think it's just it's just ludicrous. You just you're just I don't know, old and bitter and you just want to continue what you're doing or what you think's right mm. rather than getting mm. a new crop up. I don't know. That's that's how I feel. So where is it that you that you do see your comedy going? What is it that you want to achieve? Um you know, uh, dream, dream job dream five, job, ten dream years job. from now. Um so hopefully so I see myself hopefully fingers crossed uh, as like an Eric Banner do you know Eric Banner yes so he started off doing sketch comedy on Australian TV and then as you know has kind of started into doing more serious movies and stuff like that I don't know if I want to get into major serious movies just yet but I think that's the path I want to take get into more television and movie kind of stuff um, I really enjoy doing live performances and I really enjoy the kind of construction of shows um, but I don't know if I want to keep doing circuit stuff mm. I don't know I just would you want to keep doing festivals or can you uh, does that have a time limit mate I don't know it's got a shelf life I shelf life yeah maybe yeah. but I think I, I still need to do maybe like another one or two years um, to kind of keep advancing or keep the snowball rolling I guess and the momentum but yeah hopefully it'll get to the stage where I won't have to do circuit work and then I can just choose to go and do some live stuff when I want and are you are you making stuff online you mentioned someone that you used to work with being like a big online yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. presence yeah are you because it seems to me I don't really know much about the world of how old are you Tw- just turned 27 just turned 27 yeah. okay so I, I don't know a huge amount about the world of making stuff for YouTube because mm. to me when YouTube came out it was something like oh these these bunch of keen bedroom weirdos are making stuff <laughs> yeah. for YouTube I'm driving up and down motorways doing gigs Absolutely. like yeah well done grand <laughs> yeah. eclipsed you know yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, is that if your specialization is audience interaction, yeah. obviously that's something that's not possible in a YouTube way, in a recorded yeah. way. So do you think about that? What kind of stuff do you make online and what's the, the strategy behind it? Yeah, um, I haven't made too much online. I've done like a lot of sketches. So it's more just two-person, three-person kind of sketches. Um, it's just more that A, I don't have time at the moment and B, it's hard to get a, a good crew together in order to continue to do that. And I think why a lot of these kids who do stuff is it's all just on their laptops. So it's all just by themselves, just connect with the audience straight away. Where the stuff I want to do isn't that. I'd rather just make good sketches mm. for, you know, like a television environment kind of thing, even though mm. that's probably not the way the world's going to be going in the next couple of years. It is so, odd, isn't it? That idea yeah. that people now are... Or maybe five years ago, people were making YouTube stuff in order to then get a TV show. Mm. And maybe there's so little money in TV now to make anything that it's sort of become more of an end in itself. Definitely. Um, but there's been some really good opportunities back home. So the ABC um, gave 24 people 10,000 bucks to make three, three web se- like three part web series. Okay. Um, so I did one with Veronica Milsom and we did a show called The Record. So it was just three five minute kind of you know teasers pilots kind of thing um and our idea was world records so we did mm. the world's oldest man um the longest kiss and most star jumps in a minute so that was fun now we're into the next process of they choose six people out of the 24 to make a pilot and then out of that 
person gets a pilot gets to make a six-part series. Okay. So that's where I'm at at the moment in terms of like, you know, online presence if you want to talk about like I'm more yeah. interested in that. And so they released that on their iView, which I don't know if you guys have something similar where anyone can just watch your things on yes, on their yeah, company do, yeah. kind of thing or mm. their, their devices kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. What is it that you get out of the live experience? What is it? What is it? What does it mean to you? Is it just sort of having fun? Is it the attention of the people? Is it is it making a oh, theatrical thing I hate, I hate thing attention, happen? so it's definitely not not attention. Um, I mean, would you be happier directing your current show than performing it? No, I enjoy the performance aspect, but I don't like. I, I do it because I, I enjoy. I enjoy performing. I think I enjoy. What is it about performing? What element of it? I like leaving. I like leaving a room with everyone feeling, I don't know, maybe a little bit happier. That sounds so fucking corny. But no, just, no, no. That's what do you totally mean? Like, this is a forum for you yeah, to say exactly okay. that. Go on. Well, just like a little bit happy or, you know, if they've had just a shit day to come and get lost in something different, you know, and and, that, and that's the same for me. If I've had a shit day, hopefully I can come in and, and an audience can change my perspective on, on life and, you know, my mood, I guess. Um, but, you know. As a comic, you know, I'm sure you'd agree that there's nothing better than a good, a good crowd having a, a really decent laugh at what what you're doing. I think it's one of the few rare times where you don't feel any pressure, like you don't think about anything but having fun and enjoying. It might be different before you go on or after you get off, but during that one hour, at least for me, I'm not myself. I, you know, you know, I play different characters and all that kind of stuff and have fun with, with audience interactions and I learn. I learn from audiences and how they interact with me and, you know, hopefully I've been able to change people's opinions on audience interaction and shit like that, um, which I have. Like some people have come up to me afterwards like, oh, like I thought you were going to bully us and push us over and call us cunt. I'm like, um, what? Why would I? I want to do that thing. But, um, yeah. So what kind of a kid were you? Were you a funny kid? Obviously, your is it your older brother? Is yeah, older brother, Jordan, yeah. Okay. And what was your relationship between the two of you as kids? And what were you like as a, as a kid? Were you a sort of, you know, class clown type? Were you making people laugh? Were you retiring Quite from Quite the that? opposite. Quite the opposite. So I was more the sporty kid. So I played like, you know, first 11 cricket, first 11 soccer and stuff at, at school. Um, and played like A's, rugby and all that kind of stuff up through. And that's where I always thought. I always thought I was going to play cricket. Um, so when I was 16, I went to England for six weeks, played cricket. Uh in year 12, I went to Sri Lanka for five weeks, played cricket. Like I bowled out England captain Alistair Cook when I was 16 and he was the under-20 captain, <laughs> note to self. Um, <laughs> um, so like in the private schoolboy sketch, like pretty much that was all true. Yes, like I've, gotcha. yes, I've experienced that as a teacher of the kids that I teach now and also, you know, going to a private school. But with Jordan, we've, we've always just had a really – I don't think we've ever had a fight. Like and I honestly say that in terms of – I know people – Oh my brother, we always used to fight and rumble. Like we mm. never had a fight. I'd always be the kid that would sit next to him while he's playing Zelda on sixty four and just be happy to be there watching him. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been that. Yeah, know? yeah, just absolutely. Defeating like you know the big bosses and you know, finding the secret door in the water temple sketch uh, the water temple um uh, together and you know we always he was always like a very loving and sharing kind of brother. So when I started. Because I, I broke and tore the tendons in my fingers playing uh, AFL, so that's why I didn't kind of pursue cricket at the end of the year because I was still in splints and didn't get over it until the okay. winter. So I missed okay. like a whole thing. And when I was at a private school, I wasn't allowed to play outside 
okay. in for like in terms of like a county or sure. stuff like that. Sure. Um, so my mum was like, just go to Sydney Uni, and that's what my brother did, and I just fell back into doing theatre sports and you know the improv into the reviews and sketch shows that Jordan did. And I was sort of like, fuck, I don't want to be. That's not. That's what he does. And he was doing very mm. well for himself, and mm. uh, he's still doing very well for himself. And I hated the fact that I was like, shit, I don't want to do this because I want to seem as like the younger brother trying to, you know, live in the shadows. Or and then it came to the point where I was like, I really enjoy this. Like, this is what I want to do. I really, mm. I, you know, regardless of how they're going to compare me or, or whatever, I just need to do something that makes me happy. That's quite a mature decision to go to to recognize that it won't just be copying your brother to yeah. do the thing that you want to do. Yeah. And I think for so long, I, like when I went to uni, I never told anyone that I was Jordan's brother unless they figured it out themselves. So at the at the Manning bars, as I said before, with the, the theatre sports shows, you know, these, I used to go when I was a kid on school holidays and watch, sneak in and watch him perform and everyone just fucking loved him, like and chanted his name and stuff like that. So like, And what was he doing at the time? Axis or was he doing No, he was just doing theatre sports right, and stuff okay. like that. Um and he was a real star player. In yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had like you know, two hundred fifty kids like just know who he was. And in Manning, like once you got that kind of popularity, no matter what you said, you had you had you had the audience. Sure. Yeah, so they're on your side. So when I came in, I just didn't want anyone to know because I don't yeah. want them to be like, oh, that's Jordan's brother. Yeah. Like compare no, me, decision. he's not as good. Yeah. And then I kind of proved my worth there. And then later down the track, everyone was like, oh, fuck, you look nothing alike, your brothers. I can't believe it. It's like, yeah, we are. But it was good. It was kind of me finding my own voice and path this sounds so fucking wanky no but, no no um, not so this is this is yeah, absolutely okay. the vocabulary we okay, use good. <laughs> um, yeah so when I started doing this stuff it's completely different to what Jordan does um, and we've it got to the point where I, we always wanted to do a sketch show together so when I was starting off and Axis took off he was like oh man I'm busy I'm busy I'm busy oh okay what about next year ah busy Axis man Axis busy, busy and then so when I did my first solo sketch show and it went pretty well um he just had a, or like his wife just had a baby kind of thing. So everything was starting to slow down with access for years. Like, oh, I mean, you want to do that? You want to do that sketch show? I'm like, so man, that ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm doing pretty well for myself. So call call Suzanne, my secretary, and we'll we'll set up a meeting. But we, uh, I don't know, it's just weird. Like, um, we did a we did an improv show um, in the Sydney Comedy Festival this year. We just put like one show on, mm-hmm. just called it the Super Rasco Brothers. If anyone to rock up, turn up. We didn't do any promotion or whatever. And like we sold it out on the night. It was just mm-hmm. surreal. It was just fun to muck around with your brother for a bit. And then in Edinburgh, we've done two secret improv shows on the Sunday um, with the Axis guys. So that was, it's a good release, as I'm sure you were, to do something different from your own show in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and those tickets went like in a, in a splash as well. I think mostly because Axis of Awesome were performing, but mm-hmm. I'd like to think there might have been like two people there to see Stingroscopolis. Yeah. So have you. Something I like to ask uh, stand-ups is about the the negative aspects of the job, about the you know the the the, the dark voices, the sort of the lack of self confidence we sometimes feel. Yeah. You seem phenomenally kind of well adjusted and happy and all the rest of it. Do you ever struggle? Are there elements of 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 your comedy that you struggle with? Do you ever have long dark nights of the soul where you think, oh, am I doing the right thing, or or even not even the meta idea of whether comedy's right for you but whether you can do it to your satisfaction yeah I think there's definitely t- there's a show I did three or four nights ago where the audience just did not want to be on board and I think those are the nights where in a stand up you can probably read a room a bit better and change your direction where 
Oh, you'd be surprised. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, New York, yeah, to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Where I, like, everything's written, I can't change it. And if they're not on board, then I can't really mm. do much. And this was a night where it, just, it was just fucking grim. And just, I remember just in the blackouts going, I just want this to be over. Like, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. And I walked out. I didn't give out my business cards either. So usually at the end of the show, I give my business cards. Okay. And I was just like, fuck it, I don't, I can't. I can't stand at the door with people who've just had crossed arms just staring at me the whole time because I don't want to look at them and like, fuck, oh, what a shit show. Like as I walk past. And then I got out. I'm like, come on, man, you're in, you're in Edinburgh. Like, although like, it was a fucking packed room, but, you know, they didn't laugh. Like, so what? It's taken me three weeks to have a fucking shit show. Like, grow some fucking balls and perspective on shit. And it was after that. I'm like, fuck, yeah, man. But I've definitely done improv shows and, and some sketch shows where you doubt yourself. Yeah, and you get into your head. I'm I'm a perfectionist and I'm very competitive as well. So when things don't go well, or in my head they don't go well, Mm. I get really self-critical of myself. And some people find that arrogant because they think, oh, the show is great, but, you know, I I know I can do better or I know I should have done stuff. It's the hardest thing to do. I've found a couple of shows I've had during this run and certainly throughout my life is sort of a, I think a lot of comics will find you come, you've got some mates in at a show or some people you know vaguely or whatever mm. and you come out and you feel like you didn't do your best show and they go, I was great. Yeah. And it's so hard not to go, no, it sucked. Yeah, do you know what yeah. I mean? Because the alternative, the, this classy thing to do is go, thanks, as inside a knot grows in your stomach oh, yeah. and you're like, ah, oh, you'll never know. Yeah, that's the only bit where I can't act or be... Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, if I'm you know, disappointed in something, I'll... Of voice. So I'll, I'll do the kind of, oh, yeah, thanks, man. Thank you very much. And then just drive home or just leave. Um, I'm very happy to just smoke bomb out of out of shows and never be seen in the night. Is is there anything you can do on stage to turn it round? Like in this example of a couple, four nights ago when you yeah. had a bad one, do you, I suppose to, you know, if, if other people are listening to this who do similar sort of work, manipulation or not mm-hmm, manipulation, mm-hmm. audience animation stuff, uh, do you have any tips on getting a tough audience to, to turn over, to get to get started. Do you have any tips on, you know, when you ask someone to get up and they don't want to, yeah. do you have any strategies of how you can get around that? Um, I think if they just don't want to get up, then don't don't force it or don't push it because that just keeps making it, A, more uncomfortable for the person and if they don't want to get up, like it's in their right to say no and refuse. But also for, for the room as well, it might put a really bad spin or bad bad air in the room kind of thing. So, yeah, if someone doesn't want to get up, don't don't force them or whatever. And, you know, usually there'll be someone nearby who, who will be more nice, I guess. Mm. Um, but after you've done it for a while, you can you can read the, the people quite well. Um, so I made point of it, this, the show I did after the, the poor one, was at the beginning of the show with the basketball stuff, just to mm. have a bit more fun. So mm. I just got someone else up, put it around them, handed the paper back out. So let, you know, make it a bit more playful. Yeah. Not only for them, but for me to go, mm-hmm. yeah, this is actually fun. This is a fun show, guys. Everyone's having fun. Everyone's having fun. Oh, yeah. we're all good. We're all having fun. Okay, great. I can start my show now because everyone's having fun, right? Yeah. And then it's just constantly checking back in when I can in terms of, you know, the moments when I don't have to do a character or whatever to just keep everyone entertained and, you know, making sure that they're safe and, and, mm. and having a good time because when you, when you lose that, that's what happened on, you know, mm. the other night. And I was like, oh, I can't. And I tried. I tried so hard. I, I think more nothing. than a lot of shows, if you stop enjoying it, yeah. your show is going to... How is that going to happen? Because, yeah, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, so much of it is kind of moated. You, yeah. you can't just fall back on the script and go, oh, well, 
this one isn't working halfway through I'll just do it on autopilot yeah, there's yeah. no autopilot for no reason, especially yeah. when you know you've got a tech at the back if you skip a sketch or want to change something you're putting them in the dark as well yeah, yeah. Um, but it does go through your head of uh, you know you know, in my fourth sketch I was already thinking about the last Timmy sketch going oh they're not going to fucking like that <laughs> Do you have any particular principles that you, or rules, or or kind of uh, uh, advice you've been given, maybe that you use when you're trying to pull the funny out of a situation? Yeah. So the best ever piece of advice um, Lindsay gave me, and uh, it's an improv advice of your job as an improviser should always be to make everyone on your team the shining star, or make them look the best or the funniest. And if everyone does that then everyone's going to shine, yeah. So there should never be any selfish play. There should never be any, look at me, I'm the funniest, or look what I can do. I think I treat that the same way with my audience, that I want them to be the funniest in the room. And hopefully by doing that, it eases everyone else to, A, want to be a part of it and want to be part of the fun, and B, it just gives me that kind of, that joy and happiness that, like, this is actually fun. And I'm, I've gotten someone up who, A, never thought that they might not get up, or B, might never be like the funniest person at work or in their in their social con- context or, or school or whatever and give them the moment kind of thing. Yeah. And watching their friends and how they react after they sit back down. Oh, my God, that was so great. Like doing that, that for me is, is, is magic. That's, 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 that's the magic for me. And do, I mean, that's really clear. That shines through the, the work that you do. And it's, a, it, I mean, it's what makes it so pleasurable for us is the lack of ego mm. on, on your part. Um, I wonder as well, though, in, in terms of like the written sketches, there's mm-hmm. stuff with the less less audience. Are there are there kind of rules you adhere to, like with the with the Greek Orthodox film reviewer? Yep. When you were writing that sketch, were you sitting down and writing it out on a laptop? Were you just getting up on stage in a silly costume and improvising it? Where, where did that stuff come from? Luke? So I went to a, a Greek wedding uh, recently, <laughs> and it was the first Greek wedding that I went to, which was in English, and it was just very interesting to hear the actual translation of stuff and. You know, I was like, you know, you will obey your husband. I was like, holy shit, this is a pretty... Yes, uh, probably pretty dated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, easier pill to swallow when you don't understand the Greek. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, so when I do that, I, I, I just go back and I'll just start improvising while I'm typing. So I'll just be in a cafe talking to myself and, yeah, I'll just start typing. typing do you get self-conscious doing that or you no, just get lost in it? Like, fuck. They might think I'm old, craziest thing. Back for another cup of coffee and might give me a free cup of coffee one time. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's how I usually do it. I, I, or I'll write dot points so I can come back later and then I'll improvise as I type. Or I'll write, I'll write the speech as I'm talking out aloud. Okay. Yeah. And how, 